Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Yisroi Chameshi, the fifth Aliyah in Parshas Yisroi. The topic of our Aliyah is setting boundaries. Our Aliyah is 13 Sukkim long, running from Perik Yudtes, Pasuk Zion to Yudtes. Let's take a look at the Aliyah inside and then think about some points to ponder. So Moshe now calls the elders of the people and he tells them, he presents them what Hashem has commanded him. And everybody agrees and they say, everything that Hashem has said, Naaseh, by the way, the Naaseh initial we're going to hear at the end of Pashas Mishpatim, but right now it's Naaseh. <clears throat> and Moshe then returns, he couriers back, he shuttles back the response of the people to Hashem. Hashem then tells Moshe the next step of preparations is, is that I'm going to appear in the thickness of the cloud, Hashem says, in order, and they should believe in you forever. Moshe then told the people what Hashem had said, and Hashem then tells Moshe the third set of instructions, which is that you need to sanctify yourself today and tomorrow, wash your clothes, and prepare yourself for day three, because on the third day, Hashem will descend upon the mountain in front of all the people. And in order to prepare for this, he is told, you should circumscribe, you should boundary off the people, lest they come up the mountain, because anybody who touches the mountain, so much as just touches it, will die. No hand should touch it, because anybody who does touch it will be killed, will be thrown down, whether it be a person, animal. Uh, but when when you hear the horn blow, that's when you are allowed to go up to the mountain. So Moshe goes down, he, t- he gets everybody ready, he sanctifies everybody, they wash their clothes, as were commanded. And Moshe says you should be prepared for the third year, a third day. Nobody can be together, husbands and wives. And then we start hearing about the Matan Torah experiences. So on the third day, as the morning is breaking, there are these horns blowing, the cloud is thick on the mountain, this, the, the, the sound of the shofar is getting stronger, everybody gets very scared. Moshe comes, Moshe comes out to the people and to meet Hashem, and they stand at the bottom of this mountain. Har Sinai is at this point, and I'm smoking because of the clouds which descend upon it, and, he, and it looks like a furnace, the amount of smoke that is billowing out. And, um, and um, Moshe is speaking and Hashem is answering. So it's a very powerful experience. A few basic questions to think about. One is, when uh, considering the Saliyah, is that the Torah emphasizes that Matan Torah was the, the basis of belief in not just Hashem, but in Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says that you're going to speak in order, they should hear me speak to you, and they'll believe in you as well. Why is that so critical? So the Ramam in Mishnah Torah, in Hilchas Yasodah Torah, the very, very beginning of his Halakha Compendium of 14 volumes, the Ramam says in the 8th parak that the, the reason why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu, the lawgiver of the Torah, is not because he did miraculous things. It's not because he split the sea or brought down the manna or brought out water. It's not because of all these incredible things that he did. All of those were functional. They were necessary for the situation that we were in. The reason why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is because we experienced divine revelation. The whole nation of Israel, all 600,000 men, 3.2 million plus people at the foot of Sinai, heard God talk to them directly, were unable to, to, to live through that experience. The nation of Israel then said, Hashem, you should carry on speaking as we're about to see in the, in the next few psukim, and you should carry on speaking, and then he gave the rest of the Torah to Moshe, which means that the nation of Israel actually all heard God speak, 
they all receded and gave Moshe the ability to be able to be their representative and agent, knowing that he had heard with them and they had really heard it. Notice that there is no other religion in the world which makes this claim. Christianity, Islam accounting for two daughter religions of Judaism, biggest religions in the world today. None of them claim national revelation. A prophet here, a prophet there, this one had a dream, this one had a prophecy, and then they came back and told everybody else. Judaism doesn't operate this way. Judaism was that everybody saw it at the same time. The reason no other nation can claim national revelation is you can't make that up. You can't say that, you know, last generation, everybody heard. A few generations ago, everybody heard, because we'd all have the same story, and we don't have the same story if it wasn't true. And that's why, in fact, Islam and Christianity have to accede that there was the Sinai revelation. <clears throat> What happened afterwards, that, 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 they, that, that they argue on. But the sign of revelation is the only time ever claimed in national history of national revelation. And that's why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. So it therefore says, the Rambam, if a person were to produce all kinds of wonders, a prophet comes along and does all kinds of fancy tricks, and we say, wow, you must be amazing, you must be godly. And then they say, well, we're actually going to uh, uh, make reforms. We're going to change what the Torah actually said. Well, at that point, you dismiss them. Because... It's not like we're believing one thing against another. We believe in the Torah because we were witnesses. Our parents were there. That's what we know happened. If a person is contradicting that, it's like somebody saying what you saw yesterday really wasn't. And that is something which we cannot fathom, we cannot appreciate. In fact, the only reason we believe a prophet is because the Torah itself tells us that the tools to believing a Navi, a prophet, is by listening to a sign they give. But if they give a sign and then they contradict the Torah, and the very grounds for how we believe the sign in the first place is undermined. Same thing with why it is we trust two witnesses. Why two witnesses? Sounds a little arbitrary. Well, the Torah told us that. That's the only reason we can believe in a capital case or in beyond, in monetary cases, that two witnesses, two halachic witnesses count to bear testimony is because the Torah told us so. These are, it's the grounding of all the basic premises in our religion is the fact that the Torah told us so. How do we know? Because we, we saw. We didn't hear all the details because we couldn't handle it, but we heard Moshe Rabbeinu hearing it, and we heard Asarasa Debras, and then we handed it back to him. Very important foundation stone when it comes to understanding how and why it is that we believe. Now let's move to another question. We notice that there's actually a very interesting description in this idea called Hagbala, which means boundaries, making a fence. Hashem makes it very clear that in order for Matan Torah to happen, there needs to be Hagbala. There needs to be fencing off of Harsinai. And in fact, this seems to happen for three days. Hashem talks about two days and then, and then the third day will be Matan Torah. Moshe seems to add on a day as the Gomorrah Shabbos describes. But this is a very important description. What is the significance of these three days? What's called Shloshes Yemei Hagbala. They have a halachic standing. Um, according to many traditions, these are days in which no Tachanun is said. There's a lot of interesting discussions as to uh, what happens during these three, these three days of Hagbala, the three days that happened before Shavuos. What are they? The Gemara Shabbos says very poetically, Blessed is Hashem who give us the three-part Torah. That's Torah Nevi'im Ksuvim. La'am Tilisai, to the three-part nation, that's Kwanevim, Levi'im, and Yisraelim. Aidei Tilisai, through three leaders, that's Moshe, uh, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Ebiyarcha Tilisai, in the third month. Ebiyam Tilisai, on the third day of Hagbalah. So it's a very beautiful description, as Chazal say in Shabbos Tav Peiches. Now, so what, 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 what are these three days? Where do they come from? A lot of very different and interesting perspectives. I'd like to share just a few. The Sefer Emunas Avraham says a very beautiful idea. And that is that, remember that Moshe Rabbeinu had asked Pharaoh what seemed to be a false request. He said to, to Pharaoh, we need to rejoice. We need to make a, fest a festival for our God in the desert. 
for three days. It seems like Moshe Rabbeinu was lying. They never made that three-day festival, says the Emunah Savram. Well, he did. These three, this three-day festival was a three-day festival anticipating Matan Torah. They were just a little bit later. It was a little bit later than just going out of Egypt right then. So we were waiting for this moment. Idea number one. Idea number two, which is perhaps the most prevalent and most famous of all these ideas, is Orach HaMakorosh says it. Many other Mephoshim say it as well. Is it was, these three days were, Kedai, Sheyin Hagul Boy Kavoid Ma'achshav, Vegam Yargilu Atzmom Nisrachek Bimenu, Begimel Yomim. You can't just jump into Matan Torah. You can't just jump into national revelation and the giving of the Torah. You need preparation. In order to have preparation, you need, you need to start practicing. You need to start practicing what respect looks like. You can't just flip a switch. That's why the three days were needed. Robert Shirley used to say, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. Edison is quoted as saying that in order to make the correct light bulb, there were a thousand attempts at the incorrect light bulb. And there needs to be preparation to get to the success at the end. Another possibility, a third possibility, is, is the limits of logic. The Malvim suggests the reason is to know when it comes to Torah and Judaism, we have to be humble. And there are certain things that we cannot climb. There are certain ideas and logics we cannot surmount. We may think that we have to be able to understand everything in order to be able to do it. And until I understand it and it makes sense to me on my terms, I'm not going to keep it. Well, that's not how it works. Hashem says in order to receive the Torah, you should know there's certain mountains in logic you can't climb. There are certain things beyond your scope of imagination and understanding. That's what the idea is of Hagbala, idea number three. The fourth idea is the Meshachach. He says a very beautiful idea and he says, what are the Mechitzos? What were they made of? What were these um, boundaries, these walls, these fences made of? Says the, the, the Meshachach, the nation of Israel. If you look at the Pasuk, it says, You will make circumscribe the people. The way we generally understand that is, is that, the, that there was a fence put around the people. Meshachach says, no. The people themselves acted as the fence. They were the fence around the mountain, which means to say they were the container in which Hashem's revelation was imminent. That means to say that, therefore, they were able to walk out of that event and experience by actually being sanctified by the experience as well. That's the fourth idea. And finally, the fifth idea we're going to look at today is that of the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra points out a very important idea, and that is, is that if you compare the fifth and sixth aliyah, you'll see just at the beginning of the sixth aliyah that Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go down again and check and make sure that nobody comes up the mountain. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't worry, you told us that to, to be magbil, to, to set aside, to circumscribe the mountain so nobody can come up. That's what happens at the beginning of the sixth aliyah. So now here's something interesting to think about. What was the fence put around? If you look in the fifth aliyah, which is our aliyah, it was Vahigbal Tesa'am, you'll circumscribe the people. In the sixth aliyah, it's Sigbal Sahar, you'll circumscribe the mountain. There seems to be a discrepancy. Where is the fence going? Around the people or around the mountain? The, the Ibn Ezra says that, uh, that he wants to be very careful, the reading over here, that when it says that you that it, it says that you place a uh, Hagbala around the people, it means around the mountain. And he says, the reason I'm saying this is because he quotes a person who he calls the Meshuggah, the, the crazy person, who actually said there's a mistake in the Torah and said, well, it must be that the, the Torah made a mistake and changed the words in the Torah. And the, Ibn Ezra says to this, um, that, that, that in fact, that this person is crazy. That's not how we, we learn and understand Torah. If there's an I- I- idiosyncrasy, there's an in, uh, in, something which is not necessarily parallel one place to another, there has to be meaning to it. 
as well. You can't just say that the Torah made a mistake, God forbid. Ibn Ezra is very emphatic about that. But if you take it one step further and think about this for a moment, once heard Leon Weaseltier make the following observation, and that is, is that there are two different ways to get a person to do something. Let's take a child. A parent wants to make sure that the child will not touch the medicine cabinet. They want to make sure the child's not going to touch things which could be dangerous for them. How do they get there? So there's two methodologies. One methodology is they could simply put it in a very high shelf and lock it up, make sure that the child will never touch it, which is fantastic and will ensure that even when they're not there, even when the, perhaps the babysitter is not paying attention, the child will be barred from access from getting these dangerous medications. That we will call the Balta Es Sahar. You lock the mountain in order to protect them. However, there's another methodology, and that is, is you t- turn to the child and you explain to them, um, child, understand that if you take this as a big booboo, you have to go to hospital. It's very dangerous. It could, be, it, could, it, it could make you have a very, very sore tummy or even worse. And try to make them understand it. There are advantages to each of these methodologies. Vigbalta Sahar, where you lock the medicine cabinet of the mountain, or Vigbalta Sa'am, where you talk to the people and you make sure that they understand the rules themselves. On the one hand, when you talk to the people and themselves and they understand it, they buy in, that'll be true even when perhaps the medicine cabinet is unlocked. Even sometimes where perhaps the boundary it doesn't work. But sometimes people don't understand it and they need to have this external force which protects them from themselves essentially. These are the two methodologies. What the Torah seems to suggest is the first one, Vigbalta Sa'am. First, when you try to um, put a boundary around the people that they should know what is good or bad for them, you explain it in their terms. Don't touch it because that people get hurt if this happens. That's the first level. But Hashem says to Moshe at the last minute, as we see in the next Aliyah, if just make sure that the mountain is circumscribed, make sure there's a fence, because I want to make sure that first the people believe in it, but not just that they believe in it, but they also know that even if perhaps there are some of them who don't understand it, that the mountain is still locked. Two methodologies of trying to create Taibala, two methodologies in education, which have to be used at various different stages and times in our lives. Have a wonderful and meaningful day.